first of all, I didn't say it was for marriage. And you said, do you want me to talk about the husbands? Yes, that's the, what I And said. the family. Well, that's <laughs> which kind I, of implied. I actually have the exact words if we would like to go back to it. That's okay. fine. What I said exactly. Okay. If I want to go for the jugular and talk about that, the, sh- the rumors, the nastiness, we can do that. You know what? You want me to go there with her husband? <laughs> I can go there. Don't f- with me. Tell her to. F- okay. Well, that seems like you're dangling a rumor about a husband. Correct. I didn't say in their marriage, though, did I? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino. That was a clip from part one of the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City reunion. And Meredith Marks did something that I have not seen in all of my years watching the Real Housewives. I have been radicalized by this event happening on the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And what I'm talking about is Meredith Marks simply typing up word for word, literally transcribing a scene that she was in earlier this season and printing that out and bring it to the reunion as if she's a fucking court stenographer. She's just typing up the exact words. I don't know if it was her or maybe Brooks or some assistant, but the idea of somebody just sitting and watching and then typing up word for word, because we've seen so many different types of receipts at these reunions. People bring everything to that stage, which by the way, you guys, that stage, what the fuck was going on? What the fuck was going on with that reunion stage? I have a theory because that reunion stage was fucking nuts. They just threw everything from Party City on there. We had some sort of pirate ship and then there was ice and palm trees. Like what, you guys, what was going on with that? My theory is, and I hate to spread conspiracy theories because I don't know everything I say in this podcast. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but I do believe that they've gotten so much heat on Salt Lake City for their reunion looks, right? This is what, uh, season four or five? I don't know what season we're in, but we've had enough reunions with the Salt Lake City women, and consistently, every single time that Bravo releases the looks from the Real Houses of Salt Lake City reunions, everybody collectively says, what the fuck is that? We all say, we right, we look at these reunion looks over the years, and we say, what the fuck is she wearing? What the fuck is she wearing? What the fuck is that dress? What the fuck is that jewelry? Why is your tan like that? What's going on with the makeup? Like, we say that consistently. Now, on the other franchises, we usually look at the women collectively after they release the reunion looks, and we say, oh, I really like that one. I don't like that one so much. Or they all look so amazing here, except for I don't love that look. But when it comes to Salt Lake City women, I don't think a season has gone by that we have not collectively seen the reunion looks and said, what the fuck? And so Bravo knew that this is a little bit of a cash cow situation, a little bit of a scandal situation. It was something that happened last week on Salt Lake City Housewives with Monica's reveal that seemed to have permeated culturally some of the outside of Bravo spheres, right? So it's starting to appear. You're hearing friends who don't always tune into The Real Housewives, talking about this Monica Salt Lake City Housewives, which is exactly what happened to Scandal. A lot of people who tuned out of Vanderpump Rules were suddenly tuning back in because it permeated the culture in a way, right? And then it becomes a little bit of a cash cow, I would assume, for the network. They don't want to fuck it up. And so I believe that production was like, look, guys, we can't fuck this up. This is our new cash cow, all right? So we got to make sure that these women are at least looking better than they normally do, right? If we would have seen these reunion looks... With one of them other reunion stages, we might have said, oh, gosh, look how awful they all look. But our eyes were so distracted by that fucking pirate ship with the icicles on it that we didn't even see any of these. I don't I can't speak for everyone, but it took to the end of the episode until I was finally like, oh, what the fuck is she wearing? Because I was so distracted by that goddamn pirate. I'm sorry for the language. You guys see I'm hyped up. Hyped up, and you know I don't normally cover reunions on this show, but we're covering Salt Lake City this week because I just have a lot of thoughts, a lot going on. Uh, with Salt Lake, there was stuff that happened after the finale. There was leaked videos of Monica and the mom essentially owning up to the fact they're sort of acting on the season. I don't know. That was released. And so it's a lot going on. But I believe that the production was like, we got to make them look good. And so what can we do? What can we do? So they sent a PA over to that party city and they said, get everything. They said, get every every fucking theme at the party city. You throw it on that set. So I don't care if it's a pirate. I mean, I'm sure if you were to take... Uh, another look around that reunion set, we'd see all sorts. We'd see like some Hawaiian hula theme going on. We'd see under the sea. I'm sure they'd have some under the sea shit going on. I mean, it was like every prom theme. And I know this because I was in the prom committee for planning the prom because I was class president, not to brag. But I remember thinking that you go around all these themes for prom and you're like, what should we do? Should we do under the fucking sea or what should we? And I feel like that's what they were doing there. And then they just sent people to party city and they said, get the icicles, get the palm trees, get the pirate ship, get the sign that says Bermuda. And then it didn't make sense. Andy said he was on an acid trip, but he's like, 
you guys were in Bermuda, but then you're from Salt Lake City. And I'm like, I don't understand. They were doing a Bermuda Triangle, but then with ice because it was Salt Lake. It was too much going on. And I think they were tricking us. I think they were just trying to distract us from those looks because it was not until the last couple of minutes until I really got my eyes on some of them and thought, what the, what is that? And then what is that? And even Whitney's look, when I finally did get eyes on Whitney's look, you guys, I didn't like it at first, but as I've sat with it more and all those layered necklaces, I mean, I saw there were hundreds of necklaces on Whitney. I mean, she went into Adelia's or Claire's and just said, give me the rack. And she did. And at first I was taken aback by it. And then by by the end, I kind of thought Whitney's was the best. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry because I, from what I've been seeing, everyone said Whitney's was the worst. And you know how I feel. I'm not always the biggest Whitney fan. You know what I'm saying? But then when I'm seeing all them necklaces, I thought, this is crazy. Uh, and I don't know. Maybe I'm just, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just so confused by that fucking pirate ship that then I was looking at Whitney and I was thought it looked great. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it was crazy. That whole set was insane. And so we have so much to discuss. We're also going to be covering Beverly Hills. I have a lot of uh, thoughts on that, specifically with Dorit's finances, you guys. A lot of stuff going on with Dorit's finances. I'm going to need you all to pause this podcast episode and go look up her performance in a, a Peter Pan overseas. I believe she's in a show, a live theater showing of Peter Pan somewhere. I don't even know where it is. I think maybe London. I don't know. I don't know. But she is performing in some sort of mermaid costume or something. I don't know, you guys, but I need you to go look it up. I'm not even sure what you would Google, but Google Dorit Mermaid or something. I don't know. Figure it out. And you need to see this clip because she's performing as if she's an actor. And there's something amiss with the finances. There's no way she's just doing local theater. It's not local, but why is she doing theater? And what's fascinating about that is normally with these housewives, there is this whole industrial complex of live shows outside of the Real Housewives franchise, right? We see Sonia Tremont Morgan doing the cabaret uh, Luann has been doing her cabaret show for upwards of 45 years. Up, I, I certainly feel like it's been around longer than I have because that's how it feels at least. She's been touring forever with that cabaret show where she's playing the bongos and uh, throwing shade at Bethany. Like that's been happening for a long period of time. And then some of the other housewives, what they do is these like kind of Q and A tours, right? Where they go around to different cities and maybe three housewives. So you get like Dorinda, Teresa and Ashley Darby all, all together in some sort of weird live event, Q and A mixed media type thing, right? But Dorit is not someone who has traditionally done those things. And I always assumed it was a wealth thing. Why would Dorit want to do that, right? If you have enough money, you're not going to necessarily want to be doing every opportunity that comes your way. But if you need the money, you got to say yes to the opportunities that come your way. And I'm saying, okay, Dorit, first of all, I noticed on the show, is not doing the glam in the way that she used to, right? There was a scene this week on the show, which we'll get to, Sorry to skip around too much, but well, there was a scene where she looked like Elizabeth Holmes. She had the blue jeans on and a black top and some glasses or something. I'm like, that's Elizabeth Holmes. And it's a very basic outfit. It didn't look like she had full glam makeup. There's been a lot of scenes, not every scene, a lot of scenes, though, where I'm noticing she definitely didn't hire glam. And then now she's taken on random theater roles. And that's not something we've ever seen her doing acting it's something's amiss. Something's afoot and something's amiss. And I just need us to all get eyes and ears on that. But uh, make sure you pause this podcast and just at least quickly look up a quick clip. I did post on my Instagram story, I think, a clip or two. So you can maybe still see it there. But otherwise, I, you just need to find it. You need to do your due diligence before we get to the uh, the Beverly Hills portion of this podcast because it's truly insane. And I don't get it. And it must have to do with money because there's no way she's just doing uh, – there's no way to read wants to be on that stage. And even seeing her perform, I'm like, she doesn't want to be there. So what's going on with the finances? Anyway, uh, the Real House is a Salt Lake City reunion, you guys. It was uh, fantastic. I mentioned all the stuff that came out since last week. I think we're all so excited to get to this reunion. I think they're what I've been noticing talking to other people, and usually when it comes to something with house size, a lot of people will reach out and people I haven't heard from in a long time will will text me and stuff like that. And I love that because it means other people are watching these crazy shows. But what I'm noticing is that people seem to be so split between Team Monica and Team Everyone Else. And people are getting very passionate about it. It's not just like we're watching a show and it's like, oh, I love the entertainment Monica brought to the show, but maybe she's shouldn't be on a show, but whatever. But it seems like people are so passionate about like defending Monica or hating on Monica. Even people that I know who are not normally... 
either confrontational or or that invested in these types of things. They seem to have really intense opinions about whether or not Monica should be on this show. Now, what I'm going to do is try to save that until the end of the reunion, because I still feel like we're going to get some bombshells. I don't know if there'll be part two, part three. I think there are bombshells coming. And so I want to wait a little bit. As of right this moment, I think I'm on the team of like, I don't think it's good for Monica to come back next season. I said last week I'd like her to come back in a season, like take a season off and then maybe find a way to organically, if if it works, bring her back in. Uh, but I kind of, uh, right now I'm feeling like we maybe shouldn't have Monica back next season. And I'm also feeling like production and specifically Andy Cohen. I watched this reunion twice. There was like a regular version when it aired. And then on Peacock, they were doing the unedited version. So I was like, I got to watch it twice. I watched it twice. And it's very obvious to me, especially upon second watch, that Andy sort of fired her on the show. Like they sort of fired her. And there was a moment in the reunion where Monica said she emailed production and said, your ratings are in the, in the pooper and you need me. And then production, first of all, Andy's reaction to that was like, were the ratings really bad? And then production shows the actual email. And they threw Monica under the bus and they don't always throw the women under the bus. Uh, vis-a-vis production, right? Like they throw them under the bus when it comes to the other women, but production for them to like dig through their casting emails to disprove Monica. And it had, there was a couple moments where I just felt like you could see in Andy's face and then knowing the production aspects of doing something like that, I just felt like, oh, production definitely turned on Monica. That's, that's how I felt. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I felt. And so, I don't think she'll be back, even whether or not people want her back or not. I think the writing's on the wall with production, and maybe that'll change. Again, maybe there'll be more bombshells. But as it stands now, I'm like, it does not look good for Monica. Not at all. You guys, Andy's face? Did you see Andy's face? It looked like when Carol told Andy that he was afraid of Bethany. Remember that reunion back on The Real House in New York? And you could feel like Andy fired her in that moment, right? And I felt that same way when he looked at Monica after she said the ratings were in the pooper. And I thought, oh, Andy fired her. I wouldn't be surprised if he gave like a little, uh, he gave like a little look to the camera or something and told someone in the control room, like, you know, she's done. Like, I, I feel like that's telepathically he was doing that. Telepathically, he was sending that message to control room, Bravo HQ, and said, got to get her out of here. Not, not on this show. She just insulted the ratings. Uh uh-uh. uh. You don't do that. You don't do that on the network. I couldn't believe that. And then also, the actual email didn't say anything about like ratings or your show. It was just like, Hey girlies. Uh, <laughs> it didn't actually say that in the email Monica sent to production, but it was something like, it was pretty loosey goosey. Like, Hey girlies cast me. And so that was it. And so, but she was trying to act all hard and tough on the reunion stage. And I think that's kind of my issue with Monica. Ira Madison III, who's a good friend and he hosts Keep It podcast, but he made some great points of like, if it weren't for Heather wanting to expose Monica, yes, Monica did this whole scheme, which is great TV, and I'm not taking that away. But ultimately, if Heather didn't expose it, I don't think anything would have happened. It would have been a lackluster finale in that way, or or just a traditional uh, thing in that way. And then even when Heather brought it up, I felt like Monica wasn't admitting to it right away and trying to still deny it. And so I I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, Matt, my significant other, has not been watching regularly. Right? He dips in and out or sees me watching it. The funny thing is, is that he's like fiercely team Monica. So him and I are like on the couch. He's watching this part of the reunion with me because now he's riveted after this whole thing, as anyone should be. But he's sitting down and he's like fiercely team Monica. He's like, well, sh- all the women do this. And I think this is the argument of like, well, all the housewives probably have some sort of burner account, so they do try to release information. And I know that better than anyone, because a lot of times these housewives, they'll try to get me information, right? They'll try to sneak it to me, or even outright sometimes. I've had housewives outright try to get me to say something on this podcast. And I'm always so skeptical. I'm like, oh, you're obviously trying to get me to trick me. You're trying to bamboozle me. And I'm sure uh, it happens all the time. So really, when you think of it that way, you think like, well, is Monica doing anything that much different? And I said last week, I think the big difference, I don't like the the driving in front of the houses situation kind of weirds me out. And, and also, I worry now that it feels like everything Monica says is a lie or, or very strongly could be a lie. 
because they've been catching her in so many lies. So even when Heather caught her in that lie, this reunion where she said, oh, did you want to be like Kim Kardashian, a sister and then not a sister? And she was like, no, I didn't say. And then Heather played the audio recording that she had as proof of Monica saying word for word, like, oh, Kim Kardashian was a sister. And so I just don't know that I trust anything. And then that worries me watching the show because although she's given us these great moments, I think going forward in the future, I might just be watching and being like, oh, everything you're saying is, how do I know anything you're saying is true? But I guess maybe you could say that about all the housewives. I don't know. I did think there was enough other good stuff going on at this reunion, Another, a lot of other changing dynamics that I feel like we'll be fine next season with or without Monica. And I'm not sure. I go back and forth with whether or not we need to get rid of her or not. But right now I'm saying that maybe we should get rid of her. But enough other changing dynamics that Angie and Meredith was so interesting to me when she called her a, a trampoline. <laughs> This was my favorite moment, probably, of the reunion. When Meredith said to Angie K, like, you called me a trampoline with eyes. And Angie K just goes, that was a compliment. That was a compliment, trampoline with eyes. <laughs> trampoline with eyes. Trampoline with eyes. <laughs> I had to make a sound edit. I had to make a musical edit. I'm sorry for that moment because it was just making me laugh so much, trampoline with eyes. That was a compliment. I still don't think I really understand. It's something about the skin being pulled tight or something. That's what Angie said was the compliment part. It's like it means your skin's tight. But then it didn't mean like a bunch of people are bouncing on you, which God bless. We all should be so lucky as to be trampolines with eyes. I want men hopping up and down my face all the time. So anyway... Angie K, maybe it was a compliment. Uh, okay, what else is going on? In terms of the other looks, when I finally did get my eyes on these looks, I do believe that Angie maybe looked best. Is, am I wrong? I don't know. I'm not a fashionista. But ultimately, I think Heather had my least favorite look. Uh, but again, we were also distracted by that pirate ship, which I don't understand. Um, we opened the reunion with like that shot of the editing booth or the control room when they're sitting in. And I just have to say, the adrenaline I get when I see the directors in that editing bay or control room or wherever they're at the reunion, when they go like five, four, three, two, one, like the, just the chills, the adrenaline, I can like feel it just traveling through my veins. It's just the best feeling in the world. The best feeling in the world. Andy says they've not all seen each other since filming. Well, everybody has except for Monica, right? They all saw each other at BravoCon, which happened shortly before this reunion, but they weren't all together. And I noticed at BravoCon, Monica was so separate from them, but I also noticed Meredith Marks was actually separate from a lot of the other women too. And that's kind of, I think, the thing that I'm holding on to about waiting until the end of the reunion, because I don't know, I feel like there's stuff will come out by the end of it that might change our minds about like where the dynamics are. Because if Monica does seemingly by the end of this reading have a relationship with Mary and Meredith and maybe Whitney or whoever, I don't know who it's going to be, but then we might be all saying like, why are we all talking about that? Of course she's coming back. I don't know. That, so, But Meredith was seemingly away from everybody at BravoCon, at least to my point of view, it seemed. What else do we have? We talked about Lisa's ring, which I don't think that Monica stole. Although we keep talking about it, and I'm thinking, does production think that Monica stole it? Because I never thought that Monica took that ring. And now they keep talking about it and like asking and alluding to the fact that Monica took the ring. And I'm like, did she take the ring? When Angie K tries to get involved in this conversation, Monica calls her a bench-warming bitch. I have the no, chill. No. That was a moment where I was like, Team Monica, all of a sudden. She called her bench-warming bitch. It was just such a world-class World Series-level insult that I have not heard on these shows. And in that moment, it's particular. I was ready to give her a contract. I said, Andy, give her the contract. Give her the contract. Um, the thing that uh, – I talked about lying with Monica. And I also have problems understanding the working for Jen situation. Because uh, Monica is saying that she did this job for Jen as an assistant but wasn't getting paid for it. And even Andy was like, well, what do you mean you weren't getting paid for it? And obviously, the idea was that she would work for Jen, and that would be her way into the show. So it was a gamble. But here's why I find it strange. is like, that's a pretty big gamble when you have kids, and you're not even able to make your car payment. So we do know that the mom was allegedly paying for the car and was taking away the car. And then to not have a regular job in hopes that maybe working for free for Jen Shah, who is at the time a criminal, and 
you're going to get on the show that she's on. All of that seems crazy to me, right? Like if, if I'm a parent, wouldn't I think I should get maybe a regular job instead of gambling? Now, now here's the thing. The gambling paid off. She got on the show and she's the star of the show this season. So who am I to judge? It obviously worked, but it does seem crazy to me that she would just work for free. What else do we have here? Lisa says there's an East Coast, West Coast split. So she says she just speaks a different language because she's East Coast and the other women don't get it. And then uh, Whitney reveals that Justin's wedding ring wouldn't fit on his sausage fingers anymore. I'm just trying to go through my notes here. You know, it's hard to recap these reunions because they're just sitting still. And again, I was so distracted by that goddamn pirate ship with the ice cubes on it that I couldn't even focus on what they were saying. Um, but Angie also says she's a pillar in the Salt Lake community. Uh, and um, I don't know if I believe that. But there were also these weird things. Okay, so the Reality Vontis account that they created and that uh, apparently six people had run, Monica says, on the reunion. Um, apparently, they were communicating this account with Angie K. And we're finding out now, I don't know if you follow Angie K on social media, but Angie K was saying that that account, Reality Vontis, was actually posting like very complimentary things about Angie K. Like, oh, look at this woman. She should be on the show or whatever. And, uh, she, the, the Rally Vontis was posting very complimentary stuff. And so that's what Angie was re- replying to with the hearts and stuff. So she wasn't like she was seemingly reacting, interacting with the Rally Vontis account. She was just liking the things that Rally Vontis was saying about her. And she's a pillar in the community. And the pillar in the community actually came from the Reality Vontis account. So there you go. Maybe she is a pillar in the community, according to Reality Vontis and, uh, and, um, Angie Kay. Um, okay, so then let's see. At the end of this reunion, we do have Angie Kay doing a very low blow to Monica. She says, um, Monica was determined to get the story about Angie Kay's husband, Sean, out in the first week of filming, even though it seemed that Reality Vontis, the account, really liked Angie Kay. Monica herself went after Angie Kay the first week of filming. And Angie Kay ends the reunion saying, you should be spending, uh, not spending your money on a purse, you should be spending it on your kids. And Monica loses it. She starts to lose it. But there were times this reunion where Monica was saying, like, you can't say certain things, or that's damaging, or was hard to take that seriously. And I think this is another problem going forward with the show is like Monica saying that, but then also Monica, you're doing these things on a social media account that are just as damning, if not more so to these women. So like, you can't really expect them to give you the same grace if you're not giving them the grace in the first place. Do you get what I mean? So although Angie K's insult then I think was like a definite low blow and maybe shouldn't have gone there. I don't think you should go there with the children. Shouldn't go there with the kids, the daughters, but she did go there with the daughters. And so now we're going to have to deal with that follow-up. We're going to have to just wait and see. Watch what happens live. Next week, we see more about Jack's mission. We have Whitney versus Heather. We have Mary coming by. Ah, oh, Mary. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Very excited. There's also apparently a full investigation, Heather says, into the Monica situation. I am really living for it. I'm sure I missed things. Did I miss anything important? I don't know. Oh, oh, this was interesting to me, actually. Angie K. in regards to uh, the Sean situation with the husband maybe being a homosexual, she does say that 30 years ago, she's like, when I first got together with Sean, people thought he had nice legs. And so I told him he was married, and then that was it. She, so apparently, in Angie K.'s version of the story, <laughs> 30, 30 years ago, she started dating this hairdresser. And people in the city thought, oh, he's a big gay hairdresser, right? And Angie K said, no, he's actually, we're together. And then everybody just stopped the rumors. But also the fact that they just were saying that because they thought he had nice legs and not because he was working as a hairdresser. But is that a thing? Like, do you out there see some a guy with nice legs and think, oh, he must be gay? Like, I don't think that. I don't I love a nice leg too. You know, I love a hefty thigh. Nothing better than a hefty thigh. I mean, put me in between those t- two big thighs and I'm in heaven. And now I need to see Sean's thighs from 30 years ago. Can we, so we get a picture of that? Does anyone have that receipt? Because I don't want to hear about Sean's thighs 30 years ago and how they were making everybody think that he was gay and not going to show me them legs. Show me the, uh, the stems. I need to see the stems. Show, show it to me 30 years. I don't know. Production. Get that photo for next week. I need to see it on screen. Maybe for the uncensored version on, on Peacock. Maybe show me, show me the Sean's thigh. It's a call to arms. I need to see 30 years ago Sean's thighs. I need to see it. And the caboose. And the caboose. Um, oh, also Angie called Monica a rat. 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 You know how I feel about rats. I'm, I'm scared of rats and I'm trying to get a cozy rodents, uh, book off the ground for children because 
uh, I am scared of rats and we got to reframe the fears. But she does call. And wasn't that a insult on the Scandaval situation? Didn't somebody call somebody a rat? I don't know. You guys, I'm sort of excited for Vanderpump Rules. We're going to take a break here and come back and talk Beverly Hills. But I got to be honest, I, I thought by now I'd be so uninterested in the next season of Vanderpump Rules because Scandaval was so exhausting. And it felt like it never really left us. The show stopped airing, but then it, everybody was still talking about it every second, including myself, by the way. But it felt like we were overexposed with Scandaval and the idea of another season just even a couple weeks ago drained me, drained me, made me feel exhausted. And now something shifted. I have been changed for good, and I'm ready to watch the next season of Vanderpump Rules, and I'll probably change my mind in five minutes, and I might end up hating that first episode. But I believe that uh, Bravo's not going to fuck that up. Speaking of cash cows, they're going to make sure that show is good this season. They're not going to deliver us a shitty season because it's keeping the lights on over at Bravo HQ right now. The Scandaval and Salt Lake City and these things that permeate the culture outside of Bravo. And uh, so they're not going to fuck up this season. There might be a bad season down the road of Vanderpump Rules, but right now, I think there's too much riding on it. I think if those kids did deliver a shitty season, like if they went through the two months of filming or whatever, however long they filmed for, and it was a shitty season, I believe Bravo would have ordered more, more filming. They would have said, get back into, uh, get back to basics, like Christina Aguilera, get back to basics and start filming again because they knew they needed to deliver a good season. So that's why I think next season will be good. And maybe I'm crazy again. But I think next season of Vanderpump will be good simply because they're going to make sure that shit is edited perfectly. They got good content because everybody's going to be watching it. Everybody's going to be so excited to tune in after Scandaval. So at the bare minimum, that premiere is going to be excellent. And if not, then I don't know. Someone's maybe getting fired there, I think. Who knows? Okay, let's take a break here. I want to thank Acast. Find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino. Uh, we have merch available at everythingiconic.store. You could get signed books. And then I also recap Sex in the City. So if you're interested in hearing my recaps of Sex in the City, I do one a month on a website called Patreon. It's patreon.com slash everythingiconic. You can go there. And if you donate $4 more per month, you get access to that one bonus episode a month. I'm just doing one. And, um, but they're fun. We have a good time recapping Sex in the City. We're already on season three. So, anyway, uh, we'll be right back. It's the new year and I'm all about my finances. And so I'm looking at all of the things that I'm spending money on and I'm finding, at least in my life, that I have a lot of subscriptions that I forgot about or I paid for twice and didn't realize it. I'm talking about the streaming services that you're not using anymore. Um, but that's why Rocket Money is so fantastic. Now, Rocket Money helps you uh, get that money back that's all just flying out of your account and you have no idea where it's going because of those subscription services. So it's fantastic. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. That's right. It's also fantastic. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place. And if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. It's so super easy. Never had to get on the phone with customer service or anything like that. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash iconic. That's rocketmoney.com slash iconic. Rocketmoney.com slash iconic. Look, the weather's getting warmer. You got to ditch the jackets, the sweaters, and you got to put on some shorts and tees. And if you're anything like me, you hate getting all the new stuff. But luckily, I've found Quince, and Quince makes it so easy uh, to get clothes. I used to waste my money on clothes that would only last one season. That was until I found out about Quince. Now I've got high-quality pieces that never go out of style that I'll be wearing year after year. Quince has all of the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos. Those are my personal favorite. I always love getting new polos for the summertime, and they have a fantastic selection. I'm very particular about the collar, and I love the collar on the performance polos that I got. They also have versatile flow-knit activewear, and the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes, which I love. Feel good about shopping with them. Now, again, I got those polos, but I also got some shorts, some t-shirts, just some basics that I can wear year-round. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash iconic for free shipping on your order and 300 
365-day returns. That's quince, Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash iconic to get free shipping and 365-day returns, quince.com slash iconic. All right, I'm sure a lot of you out there can relate because every time there's a commercial break and I'm watching one of my shows, I'm always hopping on the Redfin app or website because I just want to check out real estate listings. Like I love checking out real estate listings, even for the houses that I cannot afford. It's my favorite app to use Redfin. Uh, I just got a home, of course, but it was pretty stressful process. And if I would have known how easy Redfin was, I think it would have helped out a lot. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. See something you like? Well, book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process, making it so easy. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents with a listing fee as low as 1%. Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards your next home. Now, that's a great thing. I love using Redfin. I love checking out. If you're buying or selling a home and you need some help with that, check out Redfin. Download the Redfin app to get started. And we're back. Trampling with eyes. Trampling with eyes. I need to be stopped. Okay, we're going to get into The Real House of Beverly Hills. I know we haven't covered the last couple of episodes. I'm sorry. I'm trying to have a better work-life balance in 2024. Because I'll be honest with you guys, the last year or two, I've had no work-life balance. I've had work, and work has been my life, and there's been I've never felt balanced. Uh, anyway, there's a lot of throwback stuff this season, and I'm a little worried about that. We're getting Camille appearances out the wazoo. And she's not even adding anything to the show. She was at Kyle's memorial this week, and I don't even think she was miked. And then we're getting Kim Richards showing up everywhere. And I love when Kim Richards pops by. We're getting a lot of Denise stuff. I feel like Denise has been on this show more than Anna Marie. And did they edit out Anna? Is it Anna or Anne Marie? Is it Anne Marie or Anna Marie? I don't know, because they fucking edited her out. I don't even know if we've seen, did we even get like one scene when she was introduced at home meeting her family or anything? Whenever they introduce a real housewife, we always get at multiple scenes, especially when we're getting to know them at home with their kids. And, and when we'll first meet them in regards to the rest of the group. So somebody will introduce us to them at a group event, but then almost always then immediately we go to like a personal scene and we might've gotten a short one, but did we, I don't even remember it if we did. And we've certainly never been at our house since. And I know there was some scandal with the husband and stuff going on. And so maybe they edited her out, but it doesn't make any sense because Denise has been on the show way more than Anne Marie. And I'm like, give Denise the diamond instead of this other woman. She's not even on the show. And even the parts that she's on the show, just talking about Sutton's esophagus, like enough with Sutton's esophagus. I don't give a fuck what she can fit or not fit in that esophagus. <laughs> I don't care what goes down there. At this point, I'm tired of hearing about it. It's her esophagus. It's so embarrassing that every time Anne Marie's on screen, she's like, so how about Sutton's esophagus? I'm like, what? There's plenty of other things going on. If you're going to reach for a storyline, reach for literally anything else, Anne Marie. This is some tip if you're, well, she's not coming back next season, but if she were... <laughs> There's no way she'll be back next season. No, I'd, I'd actually bet more so even than what was that other woman's name last season with who licked her lips all the time with the husband Asher girl. Hey girl, um, that what was her name? Diana Jenkins. Yeah. Even when Diana Jenkins was filming last season, I still think even up until the reunion, there was still at least a sliver of a chance that maybe they could possibly potentially bring her back for another season. But the truth is, watching this Anne Marie, there's not even a chance in hell, I don't believe, that she'd come back again. Because they just clearly hate her. And the only thing she got going on is Sutton's esophagus. Again, why'd she keep bringing it up? But my tip is, if there was some chance in hell, if somehow hell froze over, which it did look like hell froze over because I saw the Real House of Salt Lake City reunion set where there was frozen pirate ships. Uh, so it's potentially this has happened already. And so Anne Marie could be back for another season. Uh, but if she does... I would just encourage her to literally reach for anything else. But if you're talking about someone's insides, another cast member's insides, maybe just move on. And this is a good tip for actually any future housewife, current housewife, another franchise, I don't know, who's listening to the Everything Iconic podcast. But maybe just steer clear of the esophagus as a drama selling point because you're not going to win. And it's not going to be a good situation for the audience, for 
the other women on the cast. The other women on the cast are like, we don't want Garcelle and Crystal sat down with Anne Marie and she's like, oh, so how about Sutton's esophagus? And Garcelle and Crystal are like, ugh. <laughs> they look visibly just exhausted by it. And normally, especially with Garcelle and Crystal, they don't always show Crystal is in a lot of scenes and she's she's not someone who's overly dramatic, I don't think. So like a lot of scenes, I feel like Crystal, I'm like, speak up, right? She's not getting in the mix a lot. And so she's not showing a lot of emotion on her face all the time when in regards to like these group conversations. But even sitting down with Anne Marie and Garcelle, it was like Crystal even was like, oh, <laughs> oh, it made me laugh. It made me laugh. Sutton's esophagus. A lot to talk about this episode, too. And I, I want to say, uh, Kyle had revealed a couple episodes back that her best friend had passed. And it's just, I don't know, it broke my heart. And my heart goes out to her. Anyone who's lost anyone. And grief is so weird. And we always say on this podcast, you guys are tired of hearing it. But it's like, when you're grieving, you do crazy shit. And so I just want to say that before we even get into the rest of this, because we're going to talk about the honky-tonk lesbian and that ballad she sang to Kyle at her best friend's memorial. And I want to, but before we even get into the details of that situation, I just want to say that I, I grant anyone grace who's lost someone close to them, and especially losing by suicide. And I just feel, I feel, um, it breaks my heart, breaks my heart. And uh, yeah, and so obviously everything Kyle's going through, we have to look through that lens, and it's like makes more sense to me some of the behavior we're getting out of Kyle, and even when she said later in the episode something about Mauricio and. Losing her friend, normally she would rely more on Mauricio, and now she's not. She's relying on Morgan and Teddy and whoever, her close friends. It all made a lot more sense to me than it ever has in the history of this season. But then there were strange things to me, like the memorial service having Morgan sing the song that was seemingly about Kyle. Am I wrong on that? Okay, you guys, we're jumping ahead, but... We see Kyle planning this memorial, setting up for this memorial before everybody gets there. And Morgan's at this event space. I don't know what it was. It seemed like some sort of hall or something. But Morgan shows up, and she's doing a little rehearsal for her song that she's going to sing at this memorial service. In the song lyrics, you guys, it was like, about Kyle? Did anyone know this? It was like, well, let me try to find. I'm jumping ahead, so I don't know if I have the actual song lyrics. We'll get to them, I guess, when we get to that part of the episode. But there were strange song lyrics that I was like, why is this being a song that she's singing at the memorial service? It's like, And are they? They're obviously lovers. I'm sorry to say that word lovers because it's a weird word to use in terms of relationships. But it feels right here because I think that they're lovers. I think that they're definitely lovers. And I think we're all trying to piece through whether or not Kyle's hooking up and or scissoring according to the, they, you know, they were talking about scissoring at that lunch or whatever earlier in the episode. And so I think the scissoring is happening and we're all trying to ask, like, is it happening? And I feel like they're telling us like, yeah, it's very obviously happening. Like it's happening. It's happened. It's happened. Morgan's singing about it. <laughs> she was singing about Kyle. The lyrics were about Kyle and it just felt strange that you would sing that song at the memorial, right? Another thing I want to mention that we're keeping our eyes and ears on is the transitional music on the Housewives in general, but specifically on the Beverly Hills Housewives. Because uh, on Vanderpump Rules, or certainly Southern Charm, those shows, the younger shows, they've always had these traditional uh, transitional songs that play in between scenes. And they're not real songs, but they have lyrics, and uh, it's not just instrumental. So earlier in the Housewives, they only use instrumental music. And now I'm noticing more and more on Housewives, they're using these lyrical songs. And so this week on the show, we opened with someone singing, Where are my queens? Yes, girl. And it's like, I can't think. <laughs> I can't possibly think of a more embarrassing lyric or a lyric that feels more 2011 then where are my queens? Yes, girl. And like, that's the transitional music, you guys. Like, what is going on? <laughs> Did you hear those lyrics? Where are my queens? Yes, girl. Opening of the episode. And then we open on Ojai. They're at Ojai, or they go to this Ojai trip, which is very brothers and sisters coded. Did anyone watch that show on ABC? Oh, that was an era of television. We were so blessed. Uh, but we do have this trip to Ojai. And it was kind of sad to me because they didn't get much out of this Ojai trip. Erica Jane wasn't even there. And I missed that Bamboozle Jane so much this week. So much. I really felt it when they were on the way to Ojai in that Sprinter van. I was looking around at this cast and I was like, we need a big change. Without having all those wild cards in frame, without having Kim Richards and uh, Denise fucking Richards uh, and, and whoever, uh, even Bamboozle Jane, who's in the cast but wasn't able to go on this trip. 
I was looking at those women on that sprinter van and you guys, it felt bleak to me. It just didn't feel right. It was a rough group. Sutton, Crystal, Garcelle, Kyle, and Dorit and Anna Marie. It was without the wild cards. I'm sorry. It's a little bit of a flop. And I noticed it in the sprinter van. And if you notice that whole trip to Ojai, they got maybe like three minutes out of that, right? Like they got three minutes of usable footage. And I bet you production was pissed because they send the Salt Lake City gals to Palm Springs, a drag queen motel and get three episodes out of it. And here on Beverly Hills, they sent them to Ojai, which isn't that far. They went for a day trip, but still they got maybe three minutes out of it. And production was, I'm sure, hoping to get at least an episode, right? To go, they still had to drive an hour or two in the sprinter van and then they spent the day there. They weren't just doing one lunch. They were doing lunch and shopping. And it was a solid three to four minutes. It was nothing. And then all of a sudden, we're back. And I was like, this, I'm sure production was pissed. Um, speaking of actually, oh, hi, Kyle says she's not connected to LA anymore. So she's very clearly like prepping us, prepping, I don't know, a move to Nashville. Is she prepping uh, Nashville Housewives? Maybe kicking off with her and Morgan? I don't know. Is Morgan in Nashville? I thought I read that she was in Nashville, so I'm sorry if I'm just making that up. God, I love Nashville. Anyway, um, I think that maybe we're prepping some sort of move or something. I don't know. She says once Porsche's done, she's moving somewhere where she can hike and be outside, which that was strange to me. I felt like she was just saying, like, no, after Porsche's done school, like, I'm going to go move to wherever Morgan is. Like, we're going to get rent the U-Haul and drive to Montana and live there for the rest of our lives. Like the two gay men on The Last of Us. Like, I just imagine Kyle and Morgan just doing the splits in a cabin <laughs> in a fucking uh, cowboy hat. Stupid looking hat. That's what I imagine. Just like the end of the world, Kyle and, and Morgan are together because they're in love. Whether or not we want to admit it, they're in love. And I'm, I'm, I'm there now. I'm there. These two are in love. But she is saying she just wants to be outside. And I was like, what she's really saying, because in California, you could do all these outdoor activities. She can hike and there's plenty of space, whatever. But now she's saying she wants to move somewhere else. And like, oh, what she's really saying is like, I want to live the rest of my life with Morgan, but maybe I can't. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's why she's not openly saying like, yeah, I'm dating that honky tonk lesbian because she's thinking about Portia still. I know how old is Portia. I don't know. I don't know if I even want to look that up because I'll get too depressed. Hey, Siri. I'm going to do it. Pray for me. Hey, Siri, how old is Portia Umansky? Born in 2008. Somebody do the math. I can't do that. It's enough years. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a mathematician. Anyway, the point is, maybe that's what she's saying. Like, I'm going to get out of this uh, relationship, and I'll be honest with everybody as soon as we're uh, at that finish line. Um, also, you guys, Sutton brought this big, giant jug of vodka, and she was also like drinking it and burping it out on the sprinter van and also Sutton at that lunch. Like they were all trying to make something happen. They were talking about scissoring and then Sutton like tongue kissed or eat or, and licked Kyle's hoof. Like it was so strange. It was so strange that whole lunch in Ojai where it was just, uh, I don't know. I felt like they were, what was going on? Kyle just shouting out, would you ever date a woman? And Garcelle says she thinks about it. Kyle says, yes. Uh, and then they, t- they do the scissoring thing. I wrote in my notes, what is happening? And then when Sutton did try to tongue kiss Dorit, it was like feeding a baby bird, like they were regurgitating or something. It was not something I needed to see. I'm sorry, production. I'd actually rather see almost anything else. I'd rather us uh, talk about Sutton's esophagus than have to watch her uh, kiss Dorit in that way. And I use the term kiss loosely because she was just regurgitating. It looked like a mama bird feeding a baby bird. It was nothing sexual about it. And when we're taking all the sexuality out of it, what's the point? What are we doing? What are we doing? Just touching tongues for what? For television content? Because I don't think the audience needs to see it. I don't know that the Bravo watchers are sitting at home thinking, oh, God, I'd love to see Sutton tongue kiss Dorit in that way because it was not sexy. I didn't even want to see Dorit tongue kiss her husband, let alone tongue kiss Sutton. And I got to watch, I'm sorry I'm hating on Sutton a lot, but also gotten to watch those dates Sutton goes on. I can't watch one more goddamn date of Sutton's on this show. What are they doing over there? They need to get it together because how many times, how many weeks, it didn't happen this week. We did hear Sutton talking about that date, but I don't give a shit about Sutton's dates. And why do they keep showing us so much footage of Sutton with the matchmaker? That matchmaker's been on this show more than Anne Marie. That weird matchmaker, I'm sorry, she seems lovely. She seems like a lovely person. And actually, she's very seemingly optimistic, that matchmaker, because every time she's been on the show, she's got that biggest smile plastered on her face. Remember Heather Holla Thompson on The Real House in New York, that first season she was on where everybody just kept saying, like, Heather, you're just smiling through every scene. I feel like that's like the matchmaker. She's smiling through every scene. And so on some level, I got to give it up to someone like that. They seem like an optimistic person. But they've certainly been on the show more than Anne Marie. 
And I don't need to see Sutton on all these awkward dates. It's so strange. Even though the last date she was with that hot um, Silver Fox man, who's the guy who's now texting with her, so that's good. Hope she rides that like a railroad. I don't know. Is that a saying? It is now. Hope she rides that like a railroad. And uh, But I don't need to see it or hear about it. And so why are they showing us so much footage of Sutton doing on the dates? It's so weird. Um, anyway, then uh, at the Ojai lunch, just Sutton tongue-kissing and bird-feeding, and oh, it was all so strange. It was all so strange. Then we also, the scenes with Garcelle and her son, like, it's a lot. It's a lot. One of the things that worked so successfully with The Real House of Salt Lake City this past season is there were so many group scenes. And I, I gotta be honest, one of the arguments with these women on these shows is when they don't have a lot of personal storylines, when we hate them, we always say, well, they don't have any storyline going on, so Bravo needs to fire them. I actually am okay if they don't have their personal storylines going on, as long as they're compelling and dynamic within the group. And I would encourage us to maybe cut those individual storylines when they're boring. Because God bless Garcelle and the Sons. It just feels like we're seeing a lot of scenes with Garcelle and her sons. My take on it is that they just don't have a lot of content, and so we're forced to sit through a lot of these scenes like Sutton dating. Because I think on a good season, those scenes would be cut, right? They'd be looking at the cut of the episode and thinking, like, I bet the people don't want to watch another date of Sutton's. And they would maybe just show one date. Or they would maybe show her just meeting with the matchmaker, and then that'd be the end of it because there'd be so many other things going on in the show that we wouldn't even give a shit. And yet, on The Real House of Beverly Hills this season, we're seeing it again and again. And Garcelle and the Suns, every every week, I feel like we're getting the individual scene with the Suns. And by the way, I was pissed at the Suns, too, this week. Maybe this is why I don't want to see him again. Because Garcelle made a fucking lasagna. A lasagna! You guys know it's hard to make a lasagna. It's hard. I just made one. I just made one for Christmas. We make a lasagna. Make a homemade lasagna every year. I love a lasagna. But it's a lot of goddamn work. And Garcelle was in that kitchen, and those those kids, those kids, one of the kids poured himself a bowl of fucking cereal. Electric chair. Electric chair. She just did, she even did the Pillsbury Rolls. Do you notice she had that canister? Which I know those aren't homemade, but there's still some work. It's more than just buying the dinner roll and the package already made, right? You go to the grocery store. That uh, You go to the grocery store and you're planning a nice dinner and you look at all the bread options and a lazy person would say, I'm just going to grab this bag of dinner rolls that are already ready. And then you maybe have the step up from that is the ones that just need to go in the oven for like a minute, but they're already on the tray that's like ready for the oven. Do you know those ones I'm talking about? But the Pillsbury ones are even a step above that. They're like the third tier dinner roll. And so you have to do more work. You're not necessarily making a roll from scratch. But you do have to undo that thing, which makes that big pop sound, which is the most gratifying thing in the entire universe. When that fucking thing pops, uh, nothing better. Nothing better. Ladies, am I right? Nothing better. Uh, but she had to pop that shit open, then put them on a new pan, because it doesn't come in a pan. It doesn't come with a pan. So you got to get the cookie sheet out, and then put them in the oven, cook them perfectly. So Garcelle even did that with the homemade lasagna. And then this little shit just decided to pour himself some cereal. Electric chair. I guess they were talking about sex or something, but I was just so concerned with that lasagna. And I don't even ultimately think I saw the lasagna. Did anyone see it? I didn't see it. I'd like to know what her recipe is because I bet it's good. But nothing better than the lasagna. But it's a lot of work. And so if you do all that work, I'm going to need everyone to eat it. And I just made it. I had people over. Matt and I had some friends over. I was like giving people lasagna. And I'm not only making sure that they eat it, but I'm also watching the reaction as they eat it, right? Because if you make something that that elaborate, you want to know like how good is it. So if my friends or family came over after I made lasagna and then pour themselves some cereal, no, 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 absolutely not. No, no. Oh, I'm sorry, I had a Diet Coke. Okay, oh, uh, yeah, so then we had that scene. We have a scene with Dorit and PK. Now, this I'm interested in. This I am fascinated by. Dorit's not having a good season, by the way. She had that whole stuff with Garcelle, that sit-down that happened last week, and now she's got all this stuff going on with PK and the money issues, obviously, I think. Uh, but uh, PK's in this Prada sweater, and they're having a therapist come over. I think it was a therapist. And when the, the doctor, whoever this woman was, coming over to talk about their relationship, knocked on the door... PK was like, oh, yeah, I'll go get the door. And then he just decides to knock at the door and instead eats pizza. I was even examining the pizza. I was like, you guys, I was like, is that Domino's? I did. Did anyone think it could have been Domino's? I think it might. I I don't. Ultimately, it wasn't Domino's, I don't believe. But there was a split second. I was like, wait, did Dorit order Domino's? 
are they eating Domino's? I need to know what kind of pizza they're eating because that'll tell me real loud and clear what the money issues are. Because you know when you're, if you've got a hefty bank account, you're not ordering Domino's. I'm sorry, you're just not. You're maybe ordering some a step up. And look, we can tier these pizzas too, baby. Buckle up, Buttercup, because I'm about to list these pizzas. Because if you go uh, the same metric that we were just measuring dinner rolls, you could do with pizza. And I'd say Domino's is right at the bottom of the barrel, right? And maybe maybe Papa, my, my ranking, everybody's different. Everybody's different. My ranking, and I still eat the shit out of Domino's. Sometimes you're in the mood for that. It's like a different kind of taste. But I'd say when we're looking at money-wise, and if I'm looking at the wealthy elite, I don't know that the wealthy elite is going to be eating Domino's. Like I'd say that's at the bottom layer, bottom layer. And then maybe a Papa John's. Then, I mean, pizza to me is a little classy, but I have the nostalgia for it. But I'd say pizza is maybe like a smidge above the Papa, the P. John's. And then we start getting to the restaurant ones, or there's like the local delivery places. And then there's like the restaurant pizza, right? Like, so there's the restaurants that just make pizza, kind of fast foodie pizza, but aren't chains. And then there's like the restaurants that make pizza, right? So I don't think that was a restaurant pizza. And any other season I was watching Dorit and Pique, I would think they would have the restaurant pizza. And I didn't see it. They put the kids to bed already. And that was a full pizza. And so I don't, there's money issues. And I need to know explicitly what that pizza was from. So if anyone has that information, please DM me. Uh, send me a carrier pigeon. Get the information to me however you need to. If you need to start a Finsta account or if you need a open up a troll account to get me that information so it's not directly from you, maybe one of the housewives on this show, uh, maybe if they have a fake account that they could DM me from, I need information. I need to know exactly the price of that pizza that PK stopped to eat before he got the door for the therapist. Need it. Um, okay, so then they sit down with this person, and Dorit's saying she's got PTSD from the robbery. I'm sort of rooting for them, but there's a lot going on, and I think it's like so much more than what we're seeing. I think there's a lot of stuff between PK and Dorit, not just the finances, but also just with their relationship in general, that they're giving us a little like tease or taste of it on the show. But I think if we were to know what's going on behind closed doors, we would be shocked. That's my at least theory on it. I don't know anything though. I love decorating the house and getting furniture, but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space. And so luckily I'm here to tell you about a company called Cozy. Now Cozy is fantastic. A North American company that thoughtfully designs furniture made for modern living. Now, Cozy strives to provide the best furniture shopping experience with elegant, super high quality products, plus fast delivery and easy assembly, which is really important to me because I do not like putting together furniture. So the easier, the better for me. Now, Cozy offers a beautiful, customizable sofas and sectionals that are made to adapt in time. This means customers can add seats to the sofas over time. Maybe if you're extending your family, you might want more space on the couch. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, credenzas, TV stands, and accessories. So much. It's thoughtfully designed furniture made for modern living. There's an outdoor sofa and tables collection that is fantastic. It's called the Mistral. So you can choose the perfect sofa configuration for your outdoor setup. Uh, Cozy also opened its first retail space on Queen Street in Toronto to push the experience to the next level and allow customers to engage physically with the products. So transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com, spelled C-O-Z-E-Y, to start customizing your furniture today. Again, that's Cozy, C-O-Z-E-Y.com. Um, okay, so then let's see. We got this. Everyone's getting ready for Kyle's uh, event. And we see Teddy, Morgan, and Kyle in a car together. It was a lot of masculine energy. And I say that as someone who's just with two of my gay friends in a car, and we were exuding a lot of feminine energy. And so when I was watching Teddy, Morgan, and Kyle in the car together, it just felt like the inverse of that. And maybe we all need to get together and split the difference. But the truth is, uh, this is when they get to that event space. And oh, this is the lyric. You guys, this is the Morgan lyric. So they get to this event space and Morgan's like doing her sound check. And Kyle and Teddy and some of the event planners were off in the other corner and like talking about what was going on at the event. And then Kyle stops and she goes to listen to Morgan's sound check. And the song that Morgan sings is, you say, okay, these are the lyrics. You say I'm too young for you. You're scared I'm too right for you. Yes, that's about Kyle. That's about Splits Richards. I know it. It's about Splits Richards. And I know those two at the end of this life, those two are going to be in a cabin in Montana uh, together. 
at the end. And like Just like those two men from that episode of The Last of Us. It's going to be Kyle and Morgan together. I feel it. And I'm happy for them at this point. But it's strange to me to sing that lyric at a memorial. You say I'm too young for you. you you're scared I'm too right for you. I don't know. I was so distracted by that. And I was also distracted when they were like feeding each other at the memorial service for her best friend. Because they had they were eating skewered food. Skewered food. It was like on a stick. It wasn't like a corn dog, but it was skewered food. And I was just watching Kyle feed that to or one of them was feeding it to the other one. And I was feeling like I was thought I was watching what was that movie? Um Bound. Did you ever see <laughs> I felt like I was watching Bound. Do you remember that movie from the nineties? It was like this seminal lesbian film. And it's like I remember catching it on Showtime or Cinemax or something. And it's very graphic too and all that. Jennifer Tilly, I think, was in it, who's best friends with Sutton. So and now we're coming full circle here on the Real House of Beverly Hills. We need to get Jennifer Tilly back. Because in that movie, I felt like I was watching Bound again when I'm watching the scene of Kyle and Morgan feed each other skewered food. We're all sitting here asking, like, oh, does Kyle uh, like Morgan? And it's like, obviously, they're telling us, like, they're in love. Like, we're seeing it. I'm seeing love. I see love between them. And I get it now more than I ever have. But it is strange to me that this was all happening at the memorial service with the best friend. I don't know. Teddy also had a moment with Garcelle where Garcelle said, or Teddy went up to Garcelle and said, the gnat is back. I mean, <laughs> I feel like I just said it with a Midwest accent. I don't think Teddy has that. But she did say, the gnat is back. And Garcelle just sort of like rolled her eyes and then talked shit about her in the confessional. Um, then uh, let's see. We have uh, Kyle's friend's mom is there. Oh, I cried. I, I cried. And Marisa wasn't there. What a fucking trash bag. What do you mean Marisa had to work? I don't care that Kyle has moved on to this country singer lesbian. He should still, he's legally her husband. He should show up at this event. I was so fucking pissed at Mauricio. After all that Kyle has gone through, and Mauricio's on a work trip. And by the way, I'm seeing Mauricio on lots of these work trips on social media. I don't even follow that man I'm seeing on social media. He's constantly posting with the blouse off. And I'm seeing him with these young gals, hobnobbing around uh, different countries and vacations and stuff. And Mauricio, you need to get inside and put the top on. I don't, I'm, I don't uh, know. I do not care for that man anymore. I don't think I ever really loved Maurice. I wasn't one of these people who like loved that man. You know, I know years ago, everyone thought Maurice was the hottest. And I was like, what about Roman from the Real House of Miami? You know, there's other men in this universe that are hotter. Uh, but everybody was so obsessed with Mauricio. And now I'm seeing the true colors on Mauricio. He's not even there for the memorial service where your wife's new lesbian lover is singing a ballad to her. Come on, show up, show up, show up and show out. Um, okay, so then we talked about Anne Marie bringing up Sutton's small esophagus. She says it's driving her bananas, and really, like Sutton's esophagus is driving you bananas. But then there's weird stuff too. It's like she's a nurse, she's not a nurse. I don't know. I don't get it. Oh, there was also a flirty moment between Kyle and Morgan about not wearing heels. This, you guys, this was actually probably the strangest moment of the episode. So let me let me just break this down. So we have Anne Marie, Garcelle, and Crystal talking about Sutton's small esophagus. Then we cut to. Uh, Kyle and Morgan just uh, talking to the talking to some other people. Kyle uh, is wearing heels. She says something about her heels, and then she takes off her heels and playfully says to Morgan, "Oh, you like that better, right?" And it's like this very playful, flirty moment that you have with a significant other. And really, it was light. It was light to me, right? Then we immediately cut to. Sutton talking to Dorit about her dad. She says, my dad's been dead 20 years, and she talks about suicide affecting her. And it was so strange to me to have those moments back to back. They were so tonally different of like, Kyle being like, oh my God, you hate when I take off my heels. And then all of a sudden, we were talking to Sutton about this very intense thing that she had gone through with her father, and my heart goes up to that. I can't even imagine. But uh, to have those two men's moments back to back just threw me for some whiplash. I was like, and then Garcelle immediately came over to start talking about the small esophagus again. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Are we talking about the esophagus or the the death? Like what? It's so many. It was crazy. It was crazy to be going from small esophagus drama to then talking about suicide and losing people in this way. It was just. It was a lot for me to take in. And, you know, I'm I'm a mental health advocate. I just thought maybe we should focus on one or the other. Maybe we don't need to blur Kyle and Morgan's love affair, Sutton's small esophagus, and then this intense uh, thing about suicide. I I don't know. Just was a lot of whiplash. I would have thought maybe we should, maybe we could cut the esophagus and keep the other. Maybe we split the difference, right? We have two out of three. So maybe we just talk uh, mental health and we talk 
the other, and we leave out the esophagus thing. That was that would be my vote, but what, I'm not producing this show. Um, so you know, it's all on them. Um, okay, so then we have um, Dorit and Morgan, this interesting moment, because Dorit says that Morgan was at a London dinner with Kyle and Mauricio and some other friends, and she says Morgan stood out like a sore thumb. And there's also this other weird element that I don't think we're talking about with Morgan, where it's obvious that Kyle has, I think, vested interest in Morgan's career. I don't know if they're managed by the same person or if they just share the PR person or if, or maybe Kyle's managing Morgan. They have a business working relationship that I don't want us to lose sight of because it's very clear Kyle did the Amazon Live with Morgan. They're working together. They're not just best friends. Kyle doesn't do an Amazon Live with Teddy Jo Mellencamp. She's doing it with Morgan Wade. Why We didn't even know Morgan Wade at that point. Why are they pairing up to do that? And then also, even that moment where Kyle went over to hear Morgan singing, I thought, oh, Kyle's smart enough to know like she wants to get the singing. I, I don't know. I'm just skeptical of it all. There's obviously a vested business interest in there as well that, that could have something to do with all of this, and maybe we'll find out more as the time goes by. But there's something amiss. There's something amiss there, too. Um, okay, so then, well, let me go back to Sutton real quickly. Sutton opened up about her dad's suicide. It was... So brave of her to talk about that on the show, and I know she has before, but my, I just want to say that anyone out there is struggling, I hope you can find laughs where you can and laughs and light wherever you can and know that you're not alone. In my experience with depression, and everybody's experience different, I'm not a doctor, but the thing that I've at least come to learn about my own depression and anxiety is that it can convince you of anything. And so if you're out there struggling, just know that that, that voice in your head that is, I feel like it could be the depression convincing you of very negative things about people you love and and yourself and just hopefully know that you're not alone. And sometimes that voice is not truthful. Does that make sense? I always get worried about talking about that stuff because I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I also want people to know that when I got through it, I realized looking back, some of those thoughts that I was having in my darkest moments were the depression convincing me of these dark things when, uh, it can be convincing. That little depression thought in your head can be very convincing. Um, and it's not always truthful. And it can convince you that what it's saying is true, but it's not. Okay. So then the episode ends with the sexy song. <laughs> with that song Morgan's singing. But did she sing a different song? Maybe she ended up singing a different song. But if she sang the song that she was singing in the rehearsal, I don't know that it was appropriate for this moment. But I did feel so bad. Kyle's friend, before she passed, did tell Kyle to appreciate her marriage. And so Kyle feels like she's letting her friend down uh, for maybe moving on from Mauricio. So I think that's maybe tying her to Mauricio in a lot of ways. And so that makes a lot of sense to me. And it's so sad. And and uh, yeah, I want Kyle to, ultimately, I do want Kyle Splitsrich to be happy. And I want her to be, if Morgan's making her happy, it's seemingly much more than Mauricio. Because Mauricio can't even show up, put his fucking hooves into this building for the memorial service when his wife needs him the most and said he's probably hobnobbing with some of them young real estate gals that he's always seen with on social media where he's got the blouse off. So Mauricio, you need to stop vacationing and get home. I know he's got a business, but I just feel like, I don't know, he, he's, I don't trust him. You know what? I, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Okay. This is a long episode. I'm sorry for going long, but the truth is, I think what I've never liked about Mauricio is that I saw him on Newlyweds years ago. He was on an episode of Jessica and Nick's Newlyweds on MTV. And he was friends with Nick and some of their friends. And obviously, Nick Lachey is my arch nemesis. You guys know that. I'm team Jessica all the way. And I just don't trust any people that were hanging out with Nick Lachey around that time. And that's, I think, ultimately where I feel like Mauricio lost me. Years and years ago, when he showed up on Newlyweds as a friend of Nick Lachey, I thought, uh-uh, I don't trust that man. And now I'm finding out he's not showing up for Kyle, and I just... I guess the signs were always there. Um, okay, that's the end of the episode. Hopefully next week we get some Bamboozle Jane because it seems like we do. And then it seems for next week we do see her dipping with the with the bubbies out. Somebody's trying to teach her dance movements, so she's doing a dip with the bubbies out. And I need Bamboozle Jane on the show. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because it's it's flopping without. It's flopping without. And I looked at all those women on that Sprinter van, and I thought, we need some more people here. We need to get somebody else in this group because this main cast is kind of rough. I'm feeling like we've gotten a lot of dead weight on this cast right now. And so we either need to make some changes here or, I don't know, or cut some of the scenes of Sutton Dayton because we don't need to see that. Um, okay, I love you all so much for listening. Thank you so much. And uh, are you all watching Miami too? I, I know we can't cover every show on this podcast, but Miami is really, really great. I always love Miami, but I just think the past couple of weeks, like that – 
that dinner, that lunch with the uh, Mother's Day lunch with Anna, who, by the way, I think Anna totally flopped coming back on the show. It's like, I wanted Anna to give us more because she seemingly had more information. She was getting the gals all riled up. Marisol and Alexia stormed out of that Mother's Day brunch, which wasn't, it wasn't even on Mother's Day, by the way. It was like some other date, but they were calling in Mother's Brunch. Uh, anyway, Anna showed up and the gals got so worked up about it. I thought, oh, we're in for something good. But then Anna didn't really, she just sort of left the event. But what I think is so good about Miami right now is we're getting those like juicy group stuff, uh, dynamics where they're fighting or arguing and they're changing dynamics. But then we also have this like beautiful real life stuff about Gertie and, uh, and going through her surgery for her cancer and dealing with the um, telling of her children and uh, talking to her husband about it. And Russell like being so sweet and being there for her. It's just, it's all so, it's got all these different elements that I think make it such a good, well-rounded show. Not to mention that I think the cast has a lot of good chemistry on Miami. I just think it's fantastic. So if you're not watching it, I don't know how many times on this podcast I could say you need to be watching Miami, but it's so balanced and interesting and unique and different than the other franchises and sunny and especially now it's cold. I like going there and feeling the sunshine of Miami. It, it go, pairs well actually with, I think the snowiness of uh, the real Salt Lake city. So um, definitely check that out. And I think the problem with Miami is they need one of those moments. They need sort of a Salt Lake city. Salt Lake city had the Jen Shah arrest, right? The Sharest. And then Salt Lake city has now this season, this thing with Monica. I think Miami just needs one of these they need a moment. They haven't had like a big, they've just always been so consistent. And lately I've been hearing a lot of people jumping on board to Married to Medicine, which I always say is the most consistent show on Bravo, but Married to Medicine too, I always thought just never had that big cultural kind of like zeitgeisty water cooler moment. It's just always been perfect, but not having that moment, I think sometimes means people aren't going to tune in because they're not getting hooked because of a big cultural moment. And so I think Miami just maybe needs that. I don't want it to be manufactured. I'm not saying they should just make something up. I just, I wish they had that in some ways because I think people would really get on board with Miami and be enamored by it because it's so well produced and so good. And so love you all so much for listening. Uh, I will talk to you next week. And uh, should we do our cheese little cool down? Let's do it. Let's take a deep breath in. We need it. We need it. Hold it. There we go. Breathe out. All right. I love you all so much for listening. Stay safe and uh, we'll talk soon. Bye-bye.